Hello, Rebecca Mays here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news and social justice issues. I want to acknowledge that this program was recorded on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and that their sovereignty has never been ceded. This episode of Stick Together was produced on Jaja Run Country and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. It is brought to you on your local community radio station thanks to the Community Broadcasting Foundation. This week we've got lots of news and opportunities for you to get active. Also we'll hear the story of the Red Ribbon Rebellion, which occurred on the central goldfields in the years leading up to the Eureka Stockade. But first, some union news. In an historic decision, the Federal Court of Australia ruled last week that workers have a right to toilet breaks and to drink water while at work. Rafu brought the case on behalf of a member who worked for Tantex, a McDonald's franchisee in Queensland, alleging the company was not allowing workers 10-minute paid breaks for shifts over four hours, despite it being owed under the company's enterprise agreement. Rafu stated that workers were subjected to cruel and inhumane conditions if denied a break in a work environment that was stressful and demanding, physically and mentally. Justice Logan said that it didn't make sense for state workplace health and safety laws to require employers to provide bathrooms and drinking facilities but not let staff use them when it was a reasonable time to go. He added that the right to access the toilet or a drink of water was, in my view, a workplace right. The employer was also found to have threatened employees in a post shared to social media in January 2019. The post, which was shared to a private Facebook group by the Tantex general manager, was made in response to staff lobbying for 10-minute breaks. If we implement this 10-minute break over our current situation on your shift, this 10-minute break would be the only time you would ever be permitted to have a drink or go to the toilet, the manager wrote. So I hope to God you don't get thirsty on your next shift because we just wouldn't be able to allow a drink. Fair is fair, right? An update on the privatisation of the Adelaide Metro. Rail workers have launched a last-ditch effort to save the Adelaide Metro train network from privatisation. The Rail, Tram and Bus Union, RTBU, and the Public Service Association, PSA, are calling on South Australians to email New Transport Minister Corey Wingard to urge him to abandon the privatisation process. RTBU SA slash NT Secretary Darren Phillips says Mr Wingard has an opportunity to put his stamp on the transport portfolio and to set a new path for South Australia transport future. The decision on whether to privatise South Australia train network is a test for Corey Wingard, Mr Phillips said. The Communications Electrical Plumbing Union, or CEPU, who represent postal workers, said Australia Post is creating its own postal pandemic by cutting back on services and conditions for postal workers. The Communications Division of the CEPU said the federal pandemic regulations legislated in May are causing havoc. That seems to be borne out by reports on September 2nd that Australia Post Management has asked Victorian workers to volunteer to help clear a backlog in parcels using their own vehicles. This came after Australia Post rejected the union's call for additional financial recognition for workers who have put their safety on the line to deliver on-record revenue through the worst pandemic we've seen in 100 years. 
On August 31st, Australia Post asked its Victorian workers, including staff from administration and finance, to urgently help clear the backlog of items. The pandemic has generated a rise in online shopping and the union is campaigning for improvements to the service. It is also taking a stand against cuts to posties, pay and conditions. One in four delivery-based jobs are on the line and those who remain face a cut of up to 30% in take-home pay. The union said that management's cost-cutting, including freezing workers' wages and cutting overtime by directing staff to finish on time and therefore not deliver items, has led to the current backlog crisis. Attacking our postal service and the jobs of Australia Post workers at any time is bad enough. To do it during a global pandemic is disgraceful, the CEPU said. Cuts only endanger work conditions, putting the livelihoods of Australia Post workers at risk, it said. Postal workers are playing a key role in keeping people in touch during the pandemic, and especially for those in lockdown. The union is concerned that the regulations, which Labor MPs opposed, will become permanent and it wants the government to rule out selling off the service. We think that winding back their regulatory requirements is setting up our Australia Post to be sold off to the highest bidder, and the government isn't ruling it out either, the CEPU said. Last week, the Transport Workers' Union, or TWU, commenced legal action against Qantas over plans to axe and outsource 2,500 jobs with the airline's workers gathering in Canberra to demand action from the federal government. The legal action filed with the Fair Work Commission centres on Qantas' failure to consult with workers on its plan to outsource their jobs and over the tendering process which has been designed to make it impossible for workers to bid for their jobs. Qantas has given workers just six weeks to make a final bid and to find $80 million to fund equipment upgrades, despite the airline choosing not to do these upgrades when it made almost a billion dollars in profit last year. TWU National Secretary Michael Caine said the legal action was necessary as Qantas was violating workers' rights. Let's hear from some Qantas workers who addressed the crowd outside Parliament. Good morning, everyone. I'm Theo and I've been in the business for six years now. And uh, I've come here with my colleagues to ask the politicians of all sides, both sides, to assist us in this. This is not about redundancies. This is about replacement, replacing the workforce with a cheaper labor force. This is an attack on the industrial instrument, the enterprise agreements, and we're the first to go, but that's only the beginning. All other areas that work under enterprise agreements, be careful because you're next. There's no need for this to happen now. We're receiving the JobKeeper. That's why the JobKeeper was put in place in the first place. It's been extended to March next year. We don't need to go through this right now. I wanted to thank all my colleagues for coming all the way from Sydney today and thank the TWU for supporting us through this. Thank you very much. Morning, everyone. Uh, I've worked for Qantas for 21 years. I'm at that stage in my life where I will be retiring. But it takes me back when I started with Qantas, how proud I was to wear that uniform. Then these people behind me, you know, these families go back generations working for Qantas. Fathers, sons, daughters, mothers. It goes back a long way. And that spirit of Australia has been created 
by these people. These are the hard-working people that at four o'clock in the morning are loading planes in the pouring rain, in the stinking heat, you know. This is the spirit of Australia. These workers are the spirit of Australia. Qantas is an iconic, great company to work for. But we need to secure those jobs for our generations to come, for our kids, our grandkids. And that's what concerns me. I think that in this day and age, you know, we're, we're too quick to make alternative arrangements. I know these people behind me, a lot of them want to stay and work for Qantas. I don't have much more to say than uh, I wish all the people and the TWU all the best in their endeavours to retain these jobs because this is the future of our country and generations to come. Scandal-ridden Swiss port, controlled through parent company HNA by the Chinese government, is already advertising for the roles Qantas wants to axe and outsource. Just three weeks ago, the Fair Work Commission quashed the latest Swiss port enterprise agreement because its rates and conditions were below the award. It is the third Swissport Enterprise Agreement the Fair Work Commission has thrown because of low standards. Swissport has been exposed over workers forced to sleep at airports because of low rates and gruelling split shifts. The TWU is fighting back. To find out how you can join the fight, visit www.facebook.com slash savequantusjobs. I recently saw a video of a hard-working farm crew in the northwest of Tasmania who love to take a break to sing together in the Swede paddock. Here's some audio of the workers from Kiribati in the Central Pacific. You're listening to Stick Together, Worker Stories and Union News, broadcast around the country every week on the Community Radio Network. You might remember my conversation about the opening of the library at Bendigo Trades Hall a little while ago. Well, it hasn't happened yet due to COVID restrictions, but the Library Committee has continued to work on gathering together the Union History of Central Victoria and last week commemorated the 167th anniversary of the Red Ribbon Rebellion. We're going to hear Dave Fox tell the story of the beginnings of the anti-licence movement and solidarity on the goldfields. On the 18th of August 1851, licences to dig and search for gold at the cost of one pound, ten shillings, was enforced. There was loud murmuring among the diggers at the enforcement of this law, but so intent were they on their work that they at first paid the tax with tolerable submissiveness and gave little thought to the injustice of it. So rich were their earnings that, except in cases where the diggers had unfortunately struck a bad patch of ground, the tax was paid cheerfully. The manner in which it was collected, however, was calculated to create disconnect and murmurings became distinct protests upon the issue of the following decision, made 1st of December, 
1851 to increase the tax to three pounds a month. The Argus warned the government of the impolicy of the step and advised them to prepare for a serious outbreak among the diggers if the double fee were enforced. On the 8th of December, 1851, a large placard appeared on the creek at Mount Alexander with a reference to the three pound license. It was as follows. Fellow diggers, the intelligence has just arrived of the resolution of the government to double the license fee. Will you tamely submit to the imposition or assert your rights like men? You are called upon to pay a tax, originated and concocted by the most heartless selfishness, a tax imposed by your legislators for the purpose of detaining you in their workshops, in their stable yards and by their flocks and herds. They conferred to the effect, yes, it would increase it sevenfold, but they are afraid. And shame upon the men who, to save a few measly pounds for their own pockets, would tax the labour of the poor man's hands. That the precious metals are the property of the Crown has for long been decided by law, and that those who search for and attain them pay a fair percentage of their earnings. As acknowledgement of them is but right, it is fair, but is it just that the gold seeker should pay as much as the gold finder? Your legislators talk of the difficulty of deciding upon some mode of licensing that will press equitably upon all. And because, forsooth, the sapient worthies cannot devise some scheme founded upon justice, they must have recourse to one that is unjust and oppressive. It will be vain for one or two individuals to tell the commissioner or his emissaries that they have been unsuccessful and that they cannot pay the license fee. But remember that union is strength. Though a single twig may be bent or broken, a bundle of them tied together yields not nor breaks. Ye are Britons, you will submit to oppression and injustice. Meet, agitate, be unanimous. And if there is justice in the land, they will, they must abolish the imposition. Yours faithfully, a digger. And so the anti-licence movement was born. Digger hunting, as described by Mr Haverfield. It is a matter of historical fact that the conduct of the officials generally towards the digging population was intolerably overbearing. It has soon become imperative on the government to make considerable additions to the original police force of one corporal and six constables, and the urgent need of the times perhaps necessitated the enlistment of a large number of men. The chief duties of the force on the diggings were the collection of the licence tax and the suppression of sly grog selling. These were performed in the most objectionable, insolent and outrageous manner. Digger hunting, as the search after men who had no licences was called, was a favourite amusement of both officers and men it was followed up savagely, relentlessly, and with a refinement of cruelty that were not only exasperating, but disgusting in the extreme. Men were chained to trees and logs throughout the blazing heat of the day, or the piercing cold of night, whose offences consisted simply in not being able to produce their licences on demand. Although they protested, and their statements were often found to be correct, that they had left these precious documents accidentally at home. But unless they had them in their pockets, they were placed under arrest. It is true that many of them had neglected to take out licenses, but some of them pleaded poverty or presented the impossibility of leaving their claims sufficiently long to enable them to visit the camp. It didn't matter. They were all subject alike to the indignity of being treated as criminals. Little wonder was it that dissatisfaction was engendered to a dangerous degree. During the second half of 1853, a strange and stirring scene was enacted on the Bendigo Goldfield. It was the culminating point 
to a bitter protest against the tyrannical treatment of the diggers by the administrators of the British government. On the hill where All Saints Cathedral now stands, the gathering had assembled, and on that afternoon on the 21st of August 1853, every miner wore the symbol of disaffection, a piece of red ribbon. Every digger in sympathy with the movement wore a red ribbon as a badge. And, as may be imagined, red ribbon became a valuable article of stock with the storekeepers. Mr Thompson stated it may be fairly estimated that 90% adopted the simple mode of showing their sympathy with the movement. But why had these 20,000 miners risen in their angry might to make a mammoth demonstration of this character? The ranks of the pioneers who took part in the Red Ribbon Rebellion had been broken and sundered. But for years afterwards, the story of their fight for justice was on every tongue. Their triumph, in the end, was no light thing to be forgotten in a day. With the increase of diggers and the decrease of gold, the licence fee of 30 shillings per month began to take its toll. It was resented by those who could not pay on the practical grounds of poverty, while others objected on the plea that it was an unjust tax. The tax collector and the taxpayer were brought into violent contact, the one in harsh authority, the other in a spirit of stubborn rebellion. The digger did not want to escape their fair share of taxation. And if the gold-laced officials of the day had but reduced the tax to a moderate amount, it would have been cheerfully paid by the general body of diggers, and the combined revenue would have been larger. Moreover, licence fee was a necessity for security of tenure, as in those days a swarm of desperados were ready to rush in and possess themselves a rich claim the opportunity offer. But the government sought to press the yoke of authority so heavily on the neck of every miner that its action had an effect quite opposite to that intent. The law in its majesty demanded that the digger should show his last receipt at all hours of the day or night. And the digger replied, I'll see you dead first. This, at least, was the common spirit of the rough and ready miners. Not only against the licence fee, but against the general official administration. And it was considered the height of enjoyment to bamboozle the police. There is the humorous as well as the serious side of pioneer life. And notwithstanding the ominous temper of the people, the ring of loud laughter was frequently heard while a digger hunt was going on. It is remarkable, when looking back, that the tragic Eureka Stockade incident of 3rd December 1854 was left to Ballarat. It might easily have taken place at an earlier period on Bendigo, but no doubt the leaders of the rebellious movement did a great deal to hold the 40,000 people constituting the Goldfields population in check. The diggers were all armed, and they had the numbers. Under the circumstances, their self-control was admirable. They had already successfully fought against a step to increase the licence fee to £3. And as the anti-licence movement had taken a firm hold at each of the important gold fields, it was determined to resist strongly the arbitrary conduct of the government. A monster memorial, signed by 31,000 diggers at Bendigo, Castlemaine, MacIver, was presented to Governor Latrobe. But his reply was that the government were not inclined to make any change in the existing laws. He was satisfied the diggers were more grievance mongers. If the diggers troubled the government much more, he would let them hear how cannon could roar. This in itself was eloquent of the demeanour of the administration. And so it happened that in the year 1853, the great meeting was held on Hospital Hill to make a demonstration which thrilled the hearts of every miner who attended, swayed by the one common impulse to raise his voice in denunciation of oppression and wrong. And so it was seen a vast majority wearing the red ribbon in solidarity. Horses and dogs were decorated with the red symbol of liberty and a deep undercurrent of excitement quickly rose to the surface and found vent in uproarious cheers. Show the tense nature of the position. 
The commissioners thought the diggers were going to take possession of the camp. A governor Latrobe sent a group of soldiers and he promised cannon to the field. But the men maintained constitutional demeanour. With the deep-throated, ferocious burst of cheering, they carried a resolution against the licence system and adopted the red political insignia by way of revealing their sincere and intense conviction in their cause. On the 27th of August 1853, another great meeting was held on Hospital Hill. The rain poured down in heavy showers, but it could not damp the spirits of the men, many of whom marched from White Hills, flying the red ribbon in their hats, the wild skirl of the Scotch pipes, increasing their enthusiasm. The meeting resolved that the diggers would pay only 10 shillings per month as the licence fee, and no more. Meanwhile, at Waranga, the Goulburn diggings, the commissioners were foolish enough to attempt to compel the diggers to pay the old licence fee, and they made a number of arrests. This was too much for the endurance of their comrades. A large body of diggers, fully armed, marched to the jail and demanded the instant liberation of the imprisoned men. And the terrified commissioners complied with remarkable haste. This incident greatly alarmed Governor Latrobe, who rushed to the Legislative Council of Victoria, proposed at once to abandon the licence fee altogether and to substitute some other tax. And, laughable as it may appear, so confused did the authorities become that in a few days, two proclamations diametrically opposed to each other, were posted at various goldfields. One set forth that the fee for the following month need not be paid, while the other stated that the diggers must pay the licence fee as usual. First was issued by Governor Latrobe, and the second by Chief Commissioner Wright, in charge of all the goldfields. Here, indeed, was a pitiable exhibition of administrative imbecility and disorganisation. The Bendigo Anti-Licence Committee went at once to the commissioners and asked them to what course they meant to pursue. They declared that they would not attempt to collect the fee until a new law was passed. As already stated, the diggers did not want to see the fee abolished, and the committee told the authorities that they should make it 10 shillings per month. The suggestion was adopted, but the adult-headed government accepted the immediate quiet and peace that's sitting on every goldfield as a sign of submission. Accordingly, the fee was raised to one pound, imposing a 50 pound licence on store reapers, butchers, greengrocers, etc. And even the humble vendor of cabbages had to pay 50 pounds. Diggers of Bendigo took all this quietly enough, owing principally to the fact that the slopes of White Hills were beginning to yield up their rich treasures and a white vista of apparent wealth was once more opening up. Later on, however, the agitation was renewed with the old vigour. It was decreed that the price of the miners' liberty was to be the shedding of human blood. And the price was paid and the liberty dearly brought at Ballarat when the memorable Sabbath morn attack was made at the double breast stroke forming the stronghold of the insurgents of the Eureka Stockade. In the closing days of 1854, this sensational episode resulted in an inquiry and a complete change in the law. Instead of the licence fee, with its manhunting incidents, the authorities granted miners' right of one pound per year to render the miner secure in his hold. You just heard the story of the Red Ribbon Rebellion, which took place on the Central Goldfields 167 years ago. Let's remember the stories of these diggers, alongside the thousands of years of black history that continue to be told through the songlines of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Before we finish, here are some opportunities for you to take action. Given the current escalation of police presence on sacred Japarung country, the planned evictions of the Japarung Protection Embassy and the intended beginnings of works, action must be taken to urge the government to cease their highway extension plan. 
In short, there are 3,000 trees, of which 250 have been deemed sacred or culturally significant, set for demolition to build a highway that will save drivers three minutes of travel time. At the start of August, Susan Lay, Federal Minister for Environment, gave the go-ahead yet again to Vic Roads, starting a countdown for the state to remove people and clear the embassy camps. There is time to prepare and the embassy needs your help to do that. Visit the Japarong Protection Embassy Facebook page for information about how you can help. We're living through tough times and many of our rights and freedoms are being restricted under COVID-19 legislation. We need to take care of our communities and protect each other from this virus but let's not allow the state and federal governments to use this pandemic to destroy our cultural heritage. There are more than 16,000 children and young people currently seeking asylum in Australia who have little or no access to the social safety net during the coronavirus pandemic. Many of these people seeking asylum have lost their jobs as a result of COVID-19 and are not eligible for the job seeker or job keeper payments, and in some cases even Medicare. These people are in desperate circumstances, but you can help to provide hope this week. The No Child Left Behind campaign is holding the National Week of Solidarity. This is your chance to get involved and support the call to ensure these people receive the economic, social and emotional support they need to survive and build a new life for themselves and their families. The Week of Solidarity will host virtual and in-person events across Australia to support the call to ensure children and families seeking asylum have access to the social safety net during COVID-19. Sign the petition, spread the word, attend an event, anything you can do will help. It's your chance to show the Morrison government that Australia cares about refugees, that asylum seekers need to be protected, not forgotten. For more information about how you can participate in the Week of Solidarity, visit www.refugeecouncil.org.au slash no child left behind. That's it for Stick Together this week. Thanks to you for listening and thanks to the Bendigo Trades Hall Library Committee for sharing the story of the Red Ribbon Rebellion. And also thanks, Grandma, for all of the unpaid, unrecognised and undervalued work you've done in your 93 years. You're my hero. Stick Together is produced at 3CR Studios in Melbourne and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. The podcast is available at 3cr.org.au and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com or by calling 03 9419 8377 and leaving us a message. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, there's a union for you. I'm Rebecca Mays. Catch you next time.